0: Focus. Focus. The tide is coming in.
1: But we've just begun our picnic!
0: We aren't done with our game! Collect your beach blankets and playthings while you can. For the tide waits. For no man.
1: All right, welcome back to Processing College Football. This is our New Year's Six Bowl Review Championship Preview, National Championship Preview. This is, as I said, Processing College Football, a college football podcast designed to educate and entertain. I'm Jason Randazza. With me, as always, Mark Catlin. Every week we process the highlights of the college football world. and I make Mark explain everything I don't understand. Mark, how
0: are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I was just trying to think about this. You I know, hope you had a Happy New Year. Did we also forget to pe- wish people a Happy New Year? Are we three for three? Um, yeah, we,
1: not we do not care about our fans at all and how their holidays are. we more like a ha-
0: retroactive well-wishers, you know? Yeah, that's right, yeah, that's I, right. I hope that went well for you. Yeah.
1: Right. All right. Yeah, retrospectively, we care about them. Yeah. Um, n- not enough to think ahead.
0: Uh <laughs> sure but i did i did have a good uh, christmas and new years and such it was i didn't good, ask man. you oh i mean <laughs> i was just saying we didn't care about our fans our listeners but i think they want to know about mine i don't obviously <laughs> you, you don't care about anybody no. either me nor our fans but i'm just letting them know
1: yeah all right no you had a good one that's good did you do anything fun
0: uh, you know, we actually went to, for New Year's, I mean, we did a lot of staying around the house, but then we, for New Year's, we went to Hershey, Pennsylvania.
1: No kidding. I went there for New Year. wait, did you see the Hershey Kish drop? Well, it's, that's interesting. What happened when you were in Hershey? So I went to, like, right around Hershey Park. Yeah. And they, and so Pennsylvania is weird, because here in New York, they dropped the ball to ring in the New Year. Yeah. Okay. It seems like every single town, at least in eastern Pennsylvania, has a different thing that they drop. Yeah. And I think in Hershey, they drop a Hershey kiss. Um, but some some places in Pennsylvania, it's like uh, a pretzel. Other places, it's a pickle. Mm-hmm. There's one place where it's a bologna sausage. <laughs> um,
0: <so. laughs> I had no idea you were such an expert on... Uh, Pennsylvania and what they drop on New Year's Eve
1: Pennsylvania is a weird place it probably can be but
0: at Hershey we went Mm -hmm. downtown first it was like a Journey cover band was playing which was awesome and uh, they didn't drop a Hershey kiss they actually raised a Hershey kiss
1: Okay, maybe they did that when I was there, too. I don't remember. Now,
0: the reason I asked what, like, maybe they dropped it when you were there. I feel like it was sort of a makeshift Hershey Kiss lift thing. Like, the one they usually use is broken or something. Because this looked like... Was it on a crane? It was, like, on a pulley system. They had guys on a rooftop just like i think that's how they do it wow yeah
1: do you know how complicated it is to make something move slowly up a pole it is very complicated a pulley is really what you have to do if you don't have the budget of new york city
0: well see i thought they would do something like you maybe you're in downtown hershey but the park has like a hershey kiss thing that drops so I figured they'd just make that thing drop or something.
1: I gotta be honest, this was probably a decade ago or more, and I have no recollection.
0: Anyway, it was great. We had a ton of fun. Wow. Uh, oh. And so... yeah, we're... Did they give out free
1: candy or hot cocoa? Uh,
0: not, not not, to me. Mm. <laughs> maybe there's somebody somewhere, but not to me. It was a good the, time. The enough. stock market
1: has dipped lately, so maybe, <laughs> maybe they're cutting back.
0: Yeah, they cut it out.
1: All right. Well, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everyone. I guess we can still wish, wish people a Happy New Year. Yeah, yeah it's,
0: it's the new part of the year.
1: Alright, we don't have a whole lot of games to talk about, but we have a very full show. Uh, I'm going to start, start off by having you explain some things to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, I have been reading around the interwebs a lot about how this year was exceptionally chalky. And yeah, super chalky. sports writers have this way of writing uh, jargon and not explaining it. It's kind of the motivation for the show because right. uh, they put up these walls <laughs> that they just assume that y- you know what everything means uh, and nobody does, or at least I don't. So despite the fact that I've been following this sport for half a decade or longer, <laughs> uh, I don't know what it means when they say a sport is chalky. So w- what are we talking about?
0: Yeah, so it essentially just means that the favorites are winning. Um, So the best analogy is more like the March Madness that happens with the basketball tournament in college. If somebody, like you get your bracket and you fill it out and you have the 64 or 68 teams or whatever, and if Mm -hmm. you choose all the favored seeds, the higher seeds to win, the favored teams to win, then your bracket would be known as chalky because all the favorites win. So this year it ends up, I think what they mean by that is Alabama and Clemson have ended up in the championship game. And it's just the two teams that pretty much everybody the entire season said these are the best two teams. As it turns out, there were no upsets. There were no Cinderella teams that really challenged. And so it's just, it's chalk. It's the two favorite teams. So that's what it means. Where it comes from, I think it comes from... You know, back in the day, like horse race betting, you would write the favorites in chalk on a board and you would, you know, uh, change the odds and write it in chalk. I saw one thing that even said it came from because you would continually redo the odds on the board, the kind of chalk dust would fall and the top horse, the most favorite horse would be covered in chalk from that. But that seems a little specific, I don't know. I think it just comes from the sure. chalk that you use on the board. So, it means the favorites are going to win. And this year was, although I, I, I would kind of challenge that, in one sense, it's like the ultimate chalk in that the number one and two teams went undefeated and now they're playing each other. But there are a lot of teams that, that were favorite at the beginning of the year to be there, you know, like your Wisconsin uh, or sure. Washington or Auburn, that were pretty high up there. Uh, like Miami was eight, right? Was that this year? But,
1: Seven or eight, yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, so in one sense it was, in another because the top two there. In another sense, the, the favorite teams really didn't win. Um, uh, all like the top ten is is very different from what we anticipated. So, um, I mean that's kind of what it means. Favorites win. You got Bama, you got Clemson, but below that it was a little it was a little bit of a mix up.
1: It was dicey down there, but uh, tier one seemed to. uh I guess be as chalky as you could get. Yeah. Uh, All right. So beyond that, though, we actually have a fan question and uh, I'm excited to address it. It comes from Katie. A I call her a fan, but uh, she probably listens to us uh, begrudgingly um, just because we have all the best information and, uh, and yeah, that's why people listen to us. But anyway, so her question, her first question, she actually has two. Does the Notre Dame Clemson game, Prove that Notre Dame's independence makes them the most overrated team, especially after Florida blew out Michigan, or do they still deserve the opportunity to be blown out by a legitimate top-ranked team after going undefeated?
0: Um, I mean, I can give you my, my quick thoughts on this. I mean, you could go in a really complicated way with this or pretty simple, and I'll choose the simple answer sure. here. Uh, I mean, at some level, it's not really Notre Dame's independence that makes them overrated. It's more so just the schedule that they played. And their independence can actually make them play a much harder schedule sometimes. So, you know, at the beginning of the year even, they had on their schedule Stanford and USC... Um, and Florida State, everybody expected them to be on the rise. And those are some really tough teams. And they're um, you know, they're from the Pac-12, East Coast to the West Coast. Uh, so you travel a lot. They play a lot of away games. They play a lot more away games and travel a lot more than most other teams do that are in a conference because their teams are based on region mostly. And so you could have looked at that schedule and said, man, that's a really tough schedule. But as it turns out, most of those teams played much very much below what they were supposed to, and so they were overrated, in my opinion. They were ranked too high because the schedule was just weak, but they did what they were supposed to do, and so they took care of the teams they were supposed to take care of, uh, and so they end up, I think, rightfully so, given how the season played out in the top four, but they... We're not on Clemson's level anywhere close to. So it's not their independence that makes the most overrated team. There could be years where the independence actually gives them the hardest schedule uh, of anybody in the country. Because you could end up playing the best teams from different conferences. Um, so it's not the independence that makes them overrated or puts them there. It's the fact that that, uh, that sometimes that schedule is going to be weaker But you could argue that for a lot of teams. So that's the first part of the question. Uh, I don't think it's their independence that does that. They don't need to join the conference.
1: So do they deserve the opportunity to be blown out by a legitimate top-ranked team after going undefeated?
0: I think – I mean, the short answer to that is yes. Um you know you go undefeated and playing power mainly power 5 teams then you
1: know yeah, sure they deserve. played 10 out of 12 of their games against power 5 teams
0: and so yeah uh, i mean you you deserve to be there maybe i would have put him at 4 instead of 3 give oklahoma a nod uh a notch above what notre dame was um but uh, yeah i think absolutely i, I kind of like the way that they put it put him up against a legitimate top right team or one that's perceived as such and Let them be tested because they earned that right to be there. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I sort of feel like
1: this is just kind of the way our our current system's set up. For all intents and purposes, Notre Dame really is a a Power 5 team, and they play almost exclusively Power 5 teams. And that schedule would have looked a lot better not only a couple years ago when they set it up, but even at the beginning of the season. Uh, And as much as I complain about Notre Dame being overrated and terrible – uh, I think going undefeated, uh, they uh, they deserve to be there, even if the results of them playing in the playoff was sort of a foregone conclusion uh, in that they were going to flame out terribly. Um, so I think that's the way the current system set up. I think in order for this to be rectified, we really need to expand the playoff, and uh, I'm not necessarily advocating for that, but uh, if... I mean, if there are other teams who are sitting on, like, outside of the bubble uh, who want a chance to prove themselves, then you're going to have years like this. Uh, <laughs> Georgia and Ohio State, uh, although Georgia less so right now. But um, yeah, that's the way our current system set up. So I, I guess they deserve that opportunity, um, even though I didn't really even tune into that game because, as I said, foregone conclusion. All right so there's a second part to this or a second question that she sent in um and it's just what year does alabama's national title game appearance streak end um so the last time they weren't in the title game was what 2014
0: yeah so they've been in four straight years okay uh i think it was 14 when they lost to ohio state yes ohio state won that year um
1: so they've been in four straight years so when do they not show up in that final game what year would you say
0: this is i mean i sort of wish the question was what's the year they don't play in the playoff that would be a lot easier um you think so
1: yeah because that I, seems harder to me no,
0: i would just say whenever Sabin stops coaching but <laughs> uh, that's
1: not, not a specific year she asked well for a specific and then i would year. just
0: guess at the year that would be But a national title game appearance, you know, you get to the playoff and then you run into a streaking Ohio State team with a third-string quarterback who can just throw bombs at people, and Ezekiel Elliott's running out of everybody. You know, that that thing's going to happen at some point, but it's going to be unexpected, like it was when they lost to Ohio State. So, uh, I mean, uh, I don't think it's going to be next year. I think uh, Tua, as long as we have Tua, I think we'll get to the title game. Um, So we'll have him for next year. And we'll have those receivers for another year, but then most most likely Tua and all those wide receivers are going to the NFL um, after next year, uh, early. So uh, I mean, I I'm gonna say 20. I'm gonna say 2020. They don't make the national title after the so,
1: so the 2020 the season. Yeah, 2020 okay. season.
0: 2021. That's that's actually
1: the the same thing I have. Yeah. Uh, Although if Nick Saban's proved one thing during his tenure there, it's that he can uh, reload with top talent every single year. So uh, just seeing the the current top talent leave doesn't mean that there won't be more behind them. Um, But yeah. All right. I'm saying 2021 as well, or the 2021 playoff in Mm -hmm. after the 2020 Mm -hmm. season. All right, so uh, that's it for the questions. If you have questions you want us to answer, topics you want us to discuss, or terms you want us to define, send them in. You can reach us on Twitter at ProcessingCFB or email us ProcessingCollegeFootball at gmail.com. So before we get into the reviews, I just want to update the coaching carousel a little bit. Um, There are a few updates that have occurred. I sort of thought uh, the carousel was done spinning, but after a couple late firings and retirings, it, it spun right back up. So the biggest move is probably Mark Rick retired from Miami. Kind of a surprise retirement on Sunday. Uh, he just said, all right, he's done coaching. He released a statement, said that, uh, he wants what's best for Miami, and he thinks stepping down will do that. There are some rumors uh, that the ADs or the Boosters or whoever uh, basically pressured him to fire his son, who was on the coaching staff, and he just thought he should leave. Uh, Miami acted quickly. Uh, they hired Manny Diaz, who all the articles noted was the undefeated coach at Temple. Yeah, great um, great tenure there. <laughs> so he was hired i guess 18 days prior and then miami basically said how about you just stay here and he said okay uh so that was that was quite the move he (laughs) he went from never having a head coach position to going to coach at temple a group of five school to head coach at miami a pretty top tier power five program um Without even needing to prove himself, so I respect that. Uh, best of luck to him. <laughs> then we also... Without even
0: needing to prove himself, yeah. I, respect <laughs> that. yeah, I respect that. That's what he I respect that.
1: He's got a good manager or something. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so he was the... What was he? The offensive? No, he was the defensive, defensive co- yeah. coordinator. Yeah. Uh, all right. And then we also had, going the other direction, we had Dana Hol- Holgerson, which fans will remember as our train yard hobo left West Virginia, a power five school for Houston, a group of five school after major Applewhite was fired when he lost in a blowout to army. Um, this is an interesting move. Uh, there's there's some reason to think uh, that he's going back there because he's originally from Texas. Texas has is a is more of a hotbed for recruiting. Um, he might be able to accomplish more of what he wants, and maybe he kind of hit a ceiling at West Virginia. Um, so maybe it makes some sense, but it does beg the question mark: Will Nick Saban leave Alabama for his home state of West Virginia?
0: <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Although I think I saw.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm getting to that. Oh, All right. Okay. So today it was actually rumored and, or maybe announced officially. Uh, Troy head coach, Neil Brown, will be Dana Holderson's successor at West Virginia. So no, I just wanted to speculate.
0: state job were available. He might go. <laughs> that's right. He's an alum. <laughs> that's <but> right. <laughs> if it were available.
1: <laughs> because he definitely couldn't walk into that office and be like, I want to coach here and
0: have them fire whoever no, they that's have. It's got to be an opening.
1: Right. He maybe, every maybe he the postings. He's like, "Oh, is it open yet? Is it open yet?" <laughs> and then when he's not, it's not. He's like, "Oh, darn it! I guess I'll just do this same crap." Guess I'll more daddy champs. All right. Uh, and then apparently, NFL teams are interviewing, and may have someone may have even hired Cliff Kingsbury, yet another example of a coach changing positions uh and then changing again without even doing anything so cliff kingsbury was uh the ousted texas tech head coach and then he went over to usc as their offensive coordinator everybody was looking for him and now it seems like a couple different teams in the nfl are are, um, interested in hiring him as a head coach which is curious uh, but I guess they're just desperate for that type of offense in the wow, NFL. Wow,
0: I did not see this. Maybe I saw it just it didn't register because it seemed silly. Cliff Kingsbury silly. to get head coaching interviews with Jets and Cardinals? Yeah. Wow, that would be a Jets move. Yikes. <laughs> That's crazy. Huh? That um, would be a Jets
1: move. Oh, the Jets. All right, so that's all the coaching carousel news I have. Are you ready for our New Year's Six review? You know it. All right. I can summarize most of this review quite simply. I was wrong about (laughs) pretty much everything, so let's get started. Um, First up, we had the Peach Bowl. Uh, This was Michigan, a six-point favorite against Florida. Michigan, number seventh ranked. Florida, a ten ranked. Uh, team final score here was 41 to 15 Florida I had assumed that Michigan's defense would basically shut down Florida and and that did not happen there's a little bit more to the story here Mi- Michigan was missing a lot um, they were missing a number of defensive players uh, and as you mentioned before we started the show they there's uh, starting running back their they' top running back did not play but that still to me does not account for 26 points Um, this was surprising and as I said college football is just better when Florida is terrible so I I don't know where we are right now this is a big win for Dan Mullen and his first year coaching at Florida Um, to kind of beat a a deep playoff team like bubble team yeah Uh, I, I don't know I
0: think it I think the the two, you know, in a top NFL draft picks does affect your defense, but it doesn't... It, and so, I mean, it may account for the 41 after being an all-world defense all year. You give up 41 points to Florida, who hasn't been, you know, killing it offensively. Um, but it doesn't explain why you only score 15. You know, like, um, you should... I don't know. Do better than that. So this is a this is pretty shocking. You know, uh, I, I agree with you. I think there is that does make a pretty big difference for Michigan Florida, but I don't know if it should have made Florida look so dominant against Michigan. Um, but yeah, I mean to be favored by six and lose forty one fifteen is is not the best showing. And I'm telling you, I mean Harbaugh. This is Harbaugh is mark Ricked you know, he's Mark Rick at, at Michigan, but Mark Rick was a Georgia Harbaugh's become at Michigan. And at some point they're just going to have to pull Harbaugh and say, thanks for letting us be mediocre for a few years. We're ready to take the next step. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> take your pack, your khakis and get out of here. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, because it, it would have been too shocking for Michigan to be so successful right off the bat. Um, They're not used to that, but uh, yeah, Jim Harbaugh, I don't know. Uh, There was some rumors at the beginning of December. You can find these articles still. Nobody's buried them uh, out of embarrassment for having written them in the first place, but people were rumoring, like, like, like talking about how maybe Jim Harbaugh, after this illustrious season was going to return to the NFL uh, I don't think anyone's talking about that now.
0: I mean, if Cliff uh, Kingsbury's getting interviews, I don't know why. <laughs> Cliff Kingsbury <Harbowin>.
1: is. <laughs> uh-huh. Maybe you could give uh, Jim Harbaugh lessons about failing upwards.
0: I mean, all un- right. Un- unless you think, you know, that Kingsbury can do, I don't know if you've followed Patrick Mahomes at all at Kansas City, unless they think that was all Clef- Cliff Kingsbury or something like that. But anyway, yeah, uh, it's, it should be interesting to see what happens.
1: All right, so let's move on to the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, We had number 11th ranked LSU, a seven and a half point favorite against number 8th ranked UCF. UCF playing a game. uh, This was their chance for a 26th consecutive win. Um, This game was supposed to tell us if UCF deserved a spot in the playoff. Um, Unfortunately, there are buckets full of asterisks on both sides. Uh, UCF was without their starting quarterback, their star quarterback, uh, due to a season-ending injury a couple games back. LSU was without five starting defensive players coming into the game, uh, with actually a couple more being ejected subsequently during the game for doing things like throwing punches. (laughs) Um, but still, LSU won the game. Final score here was forty to thirty-two. LSU. Um, LSU got the lead after the first quarter. They held the lead, won the game in excess of Vegas expectations. However, I have to say, and and the stats are real weird on this game. Uh, I watched most of it. Uh, UCF. I thought kind of acquitted themselves admirale- admirably. I th- I thought, considering how little offensive production they actually had, um, probably a Well, I'm not really sure who it's a testament to, but LSU outgained UCF on offense 555 yards to 250, and yet the score differential was only eight points at the end. What might be kind of the most surprising thing about all of that production is that Joe Burrow, a quarterback who we never thought much of, um, got almost 400 of those yards through the air. Uh, and unfortunately for UCF Dylan Mack, the backup to Mackenzie Milton uh, was not up to snuff he passed for 97 yards on 30 attempts and only made 11 completions so clearly there's a steep drop off in in talent here Um, but I don't know it it really is amazing that they managed to keep it so close Uh, but people from UCF and people from LSU will kind of spin this game to fit their narrative uh, either way but did you get a chance to watch any of this?
0: Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch it live. I was able to watch, you know, a good chunk of it, kind of a replay of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think when you add it all up, so McKenzie Milton is out, which is, you know, not great. And I think if you had Mackenzie Milton in there and you had the, all the LSU players that were out, you had them out, uh, this could have been a very different game and maybe UCF comes out with a win but if you had McKenzie Milton in and you had all the LSU players who were out you had them in as well I think you basically end up with the same game Uh, I mean it's hypothetical and it's guessing but I think you end up with something like a 40-32 to uh, football game Um, but I I would say uh, well I'll answer the question whether or not UCF deserved a shot in a second but yeah I was pretty impressed with Central Florida and watching them I think they're Team speed was right there with LSU. They have the players to match up. They have the athletes to match up. I thought especially impressive was their uh, defensive line play against LSU's offensive line. Um, and they put a lot of pressure on Joe Burrow. Um, they stifled the running game pretty well. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I th- and their secondary covered LSU's wide receivers, especially in the beginning really really well but i think what ended up happening is eventually and this is what i think happens with a team like ucf when they play a team like lsu is eventually lsu just wears them down and there's not a whole lot you're going to do to be able to stop them and when you look at time of possession it kind of tells that story lsu of the 60 minutes of the football game LSU mm-hmm. had the ball for 44 minutes and 31 seconds. Good night. And so eventually, like, your defense just can't be on the field that long. And that's what happens when an up-tempo offense isn't just running up and down the field like UCF wasn't. You you just, your defense is just going to get tired out. Uh, and so I think that most likely would have happened whether McKenzie Milton was in the game or not. And so that's why I think the score would have been pretty similar. LSU just eventually wears them down. So UCF might score quickly, but then LSU is going to hold the ball for a while and go on long tries and wear out your defense. So um, I think that was kind of the predictable uh, play. I mean, and, and at the end of the day, or predictable sort of outcome, at the end of the day, I don't think UCF deserved a shot. Uh, you Notre Dame played the teams they needed to and went undefeated and deserved a shot. to to do that. UCF went undefeated, but they did it against far inferior opponents. Uh,
1: I don't know if I would say that. The American went 2-5 and in bowl season.
0: I don't don't know how much weight we could put in bowl season. But, uh, I I mean, that could be maybe one piece of the evidence. But you you do have to earn your way there. Just going undefeated doesn't mean that you deserve a shot. And so with, with the current... With the current setup, if there's only four teams, UCF does deserve, deserve a shot. But they do end up, end up ranked eighth in the country. And so if there were eight teams, they would have gotten in. They would have played the one seed and had their shot. So you could argue for an eight-team playoff. But in the current setup, I think it's impossible to say UCF plays that schedule and they deserve a shot. I don't think if Alabama plays that schedule and they go undefeated, they don't deserve a shot to play in the playoff because other teams – had to earn it to get there because you can say they're one of the best four teams, but it hasn't been shown on the field. The season has to mean something. Mm. And so even if Alabama were the best team, but they played the 12 games that UCF played and played those teams and went undefeated, I, I don't think you can put them in the playoff.
1: See, I, I, I think I might disagree with one key component. I think if Mackenzie Melton had been this game, it could have been very different. And and the reason I'm saying that is because I don't think that LSU this year is dramatically different than, say, Auburn was last year. Uh, and I think that the the motivation for both Auburn and LSU in a game like this is probably similar. Um, I don't know. I, I sort of think that they would have stood a better shot. I think that Mackenzie Milton could have made uh, – better plays. And so when UCF came with an eight at the end and they tried like an onside kick or something, uh, I'm not saying that McKenzie Milton would have changed that at all, but you know, if he got to the ball with more limited time, I think he could have made big plays. So I don't know. I don't yeah, know.
0: Yeah. No, and I, I don't disagree with that. Hear, hear what I'm saying. I think McKenzie Milton in the game with the LSU defensive players out like they were, I do think it's a potentially very, a, di- a very different outcome. I see. But if you put McKenzie Milton in and you put, like, if Greedy Williams plays uh, and the other eight players that were out for LSU, most of them on defense, you put them in and McKenzie Milton in, I think you get the same outcome. Um, but LSU's best corner wasn't out there. Two of their starting uh, defensive linemen out there, two of their guys that rotated on rotate in on the defensive line were out there. By the end of the first half, their entire starting secondary was gone. And so, yeah, I mean, so with, that's with that, what you if, have to consider. If, yeah, if you put McKenzie Milton in the game with that situation, I think UCF can easily come out with the win. But if those guys are playing, now you could take the two out who threw a punch and targeting, you know, take those guys out because they did it on the field like morons. But, I mean, you you have those other starters in there. Does McKenzie Milton, and then it all just becomes a hypothetical. But my guess would be it all kind of evens out where you basically have LSU's backup defense against UCF's backup QB, if you put their starters back on the field, you put their starter QB on the field, I think it probably ends up being something very similar score-wise. The stats would look different, I think. The game would play out differently, but I think score-wise, it ends up being about the same.
1: Maybe, but here's what I'll say. If those LSU players had been in from the start of the game, they probably would have been ejected. (laughs) From like <laughs> by halftime because, it's let's be possible. honest, they're LSU players, and it's kind of their M.O. to start throwing punches. Uh, but fair. Okay, yeah,
0: so let's move on. My main point is just to say that, I mean, it's all kind of hypothetical at that point, but it seems to me you can make an argument that it would all even out. You can make the argument that UCF would have won. On the whole, I was very impressed with Central Florida. Um, and the the fight that they put up and put themselves in a position to beat a pretty good LSU team Um, but still they didn't based on the season and even this game they didn't deserve a shot at the playoff
1: uh I I might concede that point but I will disagree vehemently when UAB
0: goes undefeated next year (laughs) (laughs) well UAB I mean well the Conference USA had a great bowl season
1: <laughs> That's true. That's certainly better than 2 and se- uh, 2 and 5. All right, let's talk about the Rose Bowl. This was Washington versus Ohio State, number 9 versus number 6. Ohio State about a touchdown favorite here. Final score was 28 to 23 Ohio State. Ohio State led for the whole game and was dominant in much of it. The, the score was 28-3 to 3 going into the third quarter, but Washington scored three touchdowns to make it look like it was closer than it was uh, with the last touchdown coming with only like 42 seconds left. Um, Dwayne Haskins had a stellar game. Uh, I think this is the final game of his college career. He passed for 251 yards and three touchdowns and will probably be a top draft pick here Uh While we're on the subject of Ohio State quarterbacks, though, there are rumors swirling around starting today that uh, five-star Georgia quarterback or backup quarterback Justin Fields is going to be transferring to Ohio State. So I don't know how many games he played this year and if he's eligible to start next season. Um, But just the fact that he'll be at Ohio State uh, for Ryan Day as he starts this program under his own direction uh, is encouraging if you're an Ohio State fan. Uh, uh, I don't know. There is a lot of articles about this game, uh, which says that because of this win, Urban Meyer is exiting on a high note, but I'm just <laughs> not really sure I see that. As far as the game is concerned, a, a five-point win, which is also... I'll say not covering yeah. against the pac 12 team that put up 10 in their conference championship. Doesn't seem like an especially high note. I mean, this is not to mention all of the other things in urban Myers tenure from this year. Um, it, it seems like not really a high note, but it could have been worse for him. Sure. If he had lost.
0: Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I didn't watch this game. I kind of followed the score. I stopped watching. When it was 28 to three or stopped following when it was 28 to three. Uh, and then woke up the next day and was like, oh, um, <laughs> That's what, what happened? Like, uh, I mean, I guess Ohio State didn't score in the second half. Is that right? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't have to. But well, I mean, they didn't have to, but it's kind of like, what in the world? And so, I mean, I look at that without having watched the game. I mean, maybe Washington just made all these adjustments, completely revamped everything, and Ohio State just had no idea what was going on, and they came back. Seems very unlikely. I think Ohio State just got bored. They're like, guys, we won the game. Way to go at halftime. Urban, we're sending you off on a good note And they walk back out on the field and we're like, All right, that was cool. And then Washington kinda came back and they couldn't kick it back into gear or whatever, but still pull out the win. So, I mean I don't I don't know that there's a ton to to make of the game within Ohio State won, Washington lost like we expect, even though the Buck Guys didn't cover. And yeah, going out on a high note I mean, maybe because it's a win in your last game, you know, that's better than losing. And it's
1: the Rose Bowl, which yeah, it's is the Rose prestigious, Bowl, I'm under... sure. It's a Big Sorry. Ten
0: thing. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. It's hard for Urban, I think, to go out on a high note as, like, a <laughs> coach at the end of this season. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. This game was just kind of strange and somewhat pointless to me.
1: Yeah, agreed. Sugar Bowl. Let's talk Sugar Bowl. Number five ranked Georgia, 13-point favorite over number 15 ranked Texas. Final score here, 28-21 Texas. Yeah. So first, we talked in our preview show about how Georgia might have trouble motivating for this game. Uh, they were a heartbeat away from the playoff, and this really wasn't much of a consolation. So I think we both still thought that they would win, but that it would be close. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this this was the context that you and I were offering prior to the Notre Dame and Oklahoma performances in the Cotton and Orange Bowls. So during those games, like a dozen or so players from Georgia—I mean, and you can see these tweets and articles and stuff— uh, From, like, the Georgia players were mocking the playoff committee, saying things like, These are your best four teams, and do you want to do over? So, this seemed to me to become uh, like a really big opportunity for them to make a statement that they should have been in. So, I thought that that would have changed the calculus. So, maybe it wouldn't be such a close game after all, because now, all of a sudden, uh, after those two teams performed comparatively poorly, they had something to prove uh but the statement that they made was closer to maybe they shouldn't have even been in this game the final (laughs) score was 28 to 21 but it was actually 28 to 7 in the fourth quarter um sam ellinger uh says afterwards that texas is back so that's good news that settles the question finally (laughs) um we were wondering but now that he said it, it's official um And speaking of him, our our friend Sam, uh, he ran for three touchdowns, uh, which was all of Texas's touchdowns. And additionally, when they were up 20 points, uh, they opted to go for a a two-point conversion with less than 12 minutes left. Uh, It seems like salt in the wound. But um, as far as, like, a review of this game is concerned, I think all you really need to do is watch the pregame clip of the Texas mascot, a, a Longhorn Steer, attempting to gore the Georgia mascot a tiny bulldog um i think they thought it would be like a cute photo op but instead it just became like an analogy for the game itself
0: (laughs) yeah i mean this game was very interesting i I mean i do think you know you you could take the the tweets from the players a couple different ways you could say that they were super motivated or just say they assumed that they were going to beat texas and Just their minds weren't in it. And the fact they're focused on the college football playoff committee and their choices and tweeting about that rather than being focused on playing a a good Texas team um, that beat Oklahoma during the regular season and played them a tough game in the uh, Big 12 championship game. I mean, so you could argue that the tweets show that their minds weren't really on their... Game, but more still being spurned by the college football playoff committee, slash being beaten by another backup Alabama quarterback in the you know final uh, final seconds of a game. So, I mean, I, I don't know. This is uh, I think there's a lot of things you could take away from this. One of which could be that Georgia wasn't as good as we all thought they were. There could be a lack of motivation, or Texas could just be a better team than Georgia. Um, Georgia kind of jumped up on everybody's mind because of how they played Alabama. I think it turns out, perhaps, that either one, they were just really up for the Alabama game offensively. Certainly they were. Uh, but then defensively, they seemed to be. But it could have been that Alabama's offense was so crippled by Tua's injury and he was just kind of off that it made Georgia's defense look that much better than what they were Mm. and Georgia when they play they get blown out by LSU Um, now they get pretty well manhandled by Texas they may just have been that's who they are Uh, and if Tua had been healthy it could be that Alabama runs away from Georgia and we don't think that they're that great. So, that I don't know. You could take this a lot of ways. And to, to be honest, I'm not really sure what to make of it. Maybe they are a really, really good team like they showed when they played Alabama tough and that's who they are, Or uh, and they just weren't motivated for this game, or they're really not that great of a team, and the LSU game and Texas game will reveal who they were, and if two is healthy, Alabama, Alabama blows them out. I don't know. I have no idea which one it is or if it's something in between. Like, Georgia's a really good team that occasionally just has a bad game, like LSU and Texas. So uh, I don't know what to make of it. But Texas, I mean, give them a ton of credit. They came out ready to play and prove that they are back, as Sam Ellinger said. Thanks, Sam, for answering the question we should have just asked you earlier. And, uh, man, they really took it to Georgia, especially – on the ground, running for 178 yards. I mean, they really came to play. And holding Jake Fromm uh, really uh, at bay, and especially then holding George's running game at bay, George only ran for 72 yards. Um, so did DeAndre
1: Swift run for a touchdown? Oh, wow. That's a very interesting question.
0: Uh, because he did not. That
1: There it is. There. Well, well, I mean, I mean
0: look. look. Not only did he not run for a touchdown, he only had eight carries for 12 yards. Um, uh, That's over one yard per carry. (laughs) That is moving. He's crushing it. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of questions that Georgia uh, has to answer, I think. Um, And there is uh, a former Georgia player came out with this open letter to (laughs) all of the Georgia program basically saying he was – disappointed in the way that they played, the leadership uh, of the team, both the senior leaders and the coaching staff, and how, wow. they, how they kind of allowed a, a culture of complacency to settle in. I mean, it was a pretty intense letter. What? Um, yeah, absolutely. But this is um,
1: Kirby Smart, who was under Nick Saban for so long. Nick Saban hates nothing more than he hates complacency, as I understand well, it.
0: And I think in this letter he even referenced, like, you you have rings on your fingers from being a defensive coordinator at Alabama. That uh, shows that you know how to coach better than this, or something, something insane. Like it was wow, it was sick. pretty well. Yeah, he he really came after him. Um, uh, so right. yeah, it was. Uh, I'm not really sure what to make of the game, but kudos to Texas, Georgia. I mean, you got some you got some questions to answer for sure. So uh, I mean, I think with this game, I'm fairly certain the Big Twelve went uh, three and one against the SEC. Wow, and the the one loss being Alabama beating uh, Oklahoma. We haven't so.
1: we haven't reviewed that game yet. We don't know what happened in it.
0: Oh, that's true. <laughs> Wait and see. Right now they're actually three and zero against the SEC or whatever <laughs> it is.
1: So all right, so let's talk the Cotton Bowl and then we'll we'll go ahead and talk about the Orange Bowl. So Cotton Bowl was number two against number three, Clemson, Notre Dame. Clemson thirteen point favorite. I think it might have gone to twelve and a half by kickoff. Final score here was thirty to three Clemson you know 38 to zero is what I said I think I was pretty close so when I said I got everything wrong this I really didn't and so that just goes to show that it never hurts to bet strongly against Notre Dame Um, so Trevor Lawrence threw for three touchdowns 327 yards here's actually what's funny if you look on ESPN at the QBR okay, which we've talked about, for Trevor Lawrence and Chase Bryce, who is his backup and stepped in at one point. Trevor Lawrence completed 27 of 39 passes for 327 yards for three touchdowns. His QBR, 76.9. Chase Bryce threw 0 for 2 for zero yards, and his QBR, (laughs) 90.4. (laughs) this is probably because he ran for 31 yards on two attempts i would assume um but who knows it's a mystery i've already forgotten everything you taught us about qbr uh in any case as as predicted clemson was just the the clear better team after like a few early fits at the beginning uh and ending the first quarter three to three clemson got three touchdowns in the second quarter to go up 23 to three got another uh in in the third quarter and and that was it Clemson overpowered Notre Dame in pretty much all all facets uh Justin Ross was probably the star in this game six receptions for 147 yards and two touchdowns um so I guess the question I have is do Brian Kelly and Jim Harbaugh have a support group for coaches who completely fail to perform at high levels uh yeah yeah they should yeah Big games, they 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 can't coach. Mark Rich probably too. <laughs> Mark Rich but he's he's he not. Started, a coach he started the group, so he's recently. retired. So yeah, yeah. this
0: was. Uh, I mean, it was an interesting game. I think the. Uh,
1: I disagree with that point, but continue.
0: The reason it was interesting is the first quarter, it does end three to three, and then, I mean, I'm. What ends up happening is Julian Love, kind of Notre Dame's defensive leader gets hurt he goes out and then and then that's when Clemson starts being able to make the plays down the down the field in the passing game and Julian Love is in the secondary and so I think it would have been interesting because Notre Dame's defense looked really solid through that first quarter and then Julian Love getting hurt I think just opened up the deep plays because Notre Dame's defense didn't play horribly um And if if they could have minimized, if Julian Love stays in, again, all hypothetical, I think they could have minimized some of those big plays. So maybe Clemson just kind of marches down the field methodically and ends up scoring the same amount of points. But even if they didn't, even if they scored fewer than 30 points, Clemson's defense was just absolutely dominating Notre Dame's offense. I mean, their defensive line, even minus Dexter Lawrence, was just crazy. Uh, And they absolutely own Notre Dame's offensive line. And Notre Dame, Ian Book, whoever you you were going to vote back there, was going to have zero time to do anything and get away from that defense. So uh, I thought it would have been maybe a lower scoring win for Clemson if Julian Love doesn't get hurt. But I think Clemson still would have pulled it out. It may have been an even more boring game because of it just would have been a defensive battle, but I think it also would have been more exciting because it was a slightly closer score. But, man, Clemson's defense just uh, made it impossible, I think, for Notre Dame to potentially win this game. All right, so that brings us
1: to the Orange Bowl. Number one-ranked Alabama going against number four-ranked Oklahoma. Alabama had two-touchdown favorite. Final score here: forty-five to thirty-four, Alabama. Uh, so, to summarize this game a little bit, Alabama came out on fire, twenty-eight to nothing lead before Oklahoma puts up any points. Halftime score: thirty-one to ten. The closest g- this game ever got uh, after the points started going on the board was within 11. We knew that Alabama's offense would cut through whatever was on the field pretending to be defense for Oklahoma. What we didn't know was uh, if if Kyler Murray could mount enough offense to make up for those deficits. Um, and the answer throughout much of the year for Oklahoma was mostly yes. Uh, in this game, going against a seemingly healed Tua and Alabama's deep and explosive offense, it, it wasn't enough. Um, in the first quarter, Kyler Murray had not put up any offense at all, and by the time he turned it on, uh, and he, and he, to be fair, he really did turn it on. Uh, it wasn't enough. He he threw for three hundred eight yards in those those three quarters, uh, two touchdowns, and he ran for another one. Um, so I, I don't know. It was a great season for Kyler Murray. Uh, you and I were texting afterwards. Still, I mean, despite this performance for both of them, he was still the most deserving of that Heisman Trophy for in sure in the yeah. end. Um, But it, it was a disappointing loss, I think, for him and Oklahoma. But Alabama was just... They were really dominant, um, despite Oklahoma really putting up uh, a heck of an effort after the first quarter.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, this game was... Uh, <clears throat> I don't know if it started exactly like everybody thought it would, but when you look at, if you had said, okay... I mean, when we were previewing it, I said, I don't really know how to predict this game other than to say I think Alabama's defense is going to get a couple more stops than Oklahoma's defense can. And that's basically what it boiled down to. <laughs> you know. I mean, even though it was Alabama running out to 28 nothing, basically what you have is the reason that happened is while Alabama was scoring in their first possessions, Oklahoma goes punt, punt, um, then they're uh, – they get stopped on downs, and after that, Alabama never stopped Oklahoma. Their next possessions are touchdown, field goal, end of half. So maybe they didn't score there, but then they get the ball to, or uh, they get the ball at the beginning of the second half, field goal. Then it was touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so really, it just wh- wherever you were going to put those stops that Alabama's defense got, they happen to all be at the beginning of the game. That's why it. Went to the lopsided lead for Alabama because Oklahoma's defense wasn't stopping Alabama and they weren't going to. But basically, if you just kind of sprinkled those out throughout the game instead of them all being at the front end, that you get forty-five thirty-four, and Alabama basically scores all the time. Oklahoma doesn't score every mm-hmm. time, and so Alabama wins. It just looks so lopsided or so wild because Oklahoma or Alabama got all the stops on the front end. And so they right. run out to a twenty-eight nothing lead, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you're, I think you're spot on with the assessment of Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray turned it on, and he was he looked like the Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, when he breaks out and he starts running, I'm just like, please just trip on something or fall, <laughs> or s- get distracted, yeah, or something. But he was he's just so quick, he's so fast. I think it was toward I think it was at the end of the half he dropped back to try to throw a bomb or something and he broke out and i was like oh my gosh he's gonna run he's gonna run for a touchdown this is gonna be terrible um he he didn't end up making it he only ran for you know 30 or 40 yards or something ridiculous <laughs> i don't know but um yeah he looked amazing and he has a cannon for arm you know i think he had the longest touchdown pass in the air against alabama's defense since maybe 2014 um which is partially because of his running ability and everybody comes up, but he hadn't crossed the line yet. So he throws a bomb. Um, And so Oklahoma, I I think, deserved to be there. Uh, I think with an historic offense like what they had, they definitely deserved to be there. At times their defense showed up and and got a stop here and there. Um, But, yeah, kudos to Oklahoma and that offense for coming back and making a game of it. I will say, I mean – Alabama needed to be aware that Oklahoma could score. So I was never really comfortable, but I never really thought after going up 28-0 that we could actually lose the game. Like, I wasn't Mm -hmm. like, oh man, here's the moment we're going to lose. Mainly because I think Alabama just kind of figured out if we just run the ball and milk the clock, eventually we're going to score and we Mm -hmm. can give our defense a rest and keep Oklahoma off the field. And so that's what it ended up being. Um, And so Yeah, uh, I think a a good win for Alabama, Um, and there's some more details to talk about, but that's kind of basically what it was. Alabama got more stops, and that's it.
1: Yeah, I think one of the better storylines here that the commentators talked about during this game was um, Junior – Josh Jacobs, who we've talked about, uh, one of uh, Alabama's elite stable of running backs this year. In any case, he's originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, was a three-star out of high school, and he was not recruited by Oklahoma. He said before the game, I just want to prove to Oklahoma when they leave there, when the game is over— that they missed out on me, and, and he did pretty pretty darn well. Carried for almost a hundred yards, averaging six and a half a carry. Um, and every time he'd like break off or get a big play, they'd cut to him, and he'd just be beaming, oh, smiling. Um, yeah,
0: yeah,
1: it was it was pretty cool to watch. Um, he was the one who got them to the Oklahoma six uh, at the end of the game, and that was enough to get the first down, and and that allowed them to like kind of go into victory formation. Um, but I, I really wish they'd just let him Score try to run it a few times yeah. <laughs> uh, to see if he could get a touchdown, because I think he would. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. I understand why they didn't, but he was ready for it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, good on him. Um, for, yeah, I mean, that,
0: for his, his, performance. his 27-yard uh, reception for a touchdown to make it 28 nothing was just <laughs> it was just crazy. Because he, he caught the pass, he saw some green, but there was one defender between him and the goal line. And, sweet mercy, he just ran the guy over, just absolutely trucked him. And I don't know if he actually even slowed down. He didn't try to go around him. He didn't run out of bounds. He just said, okay, I'm going to run as hard as I can into this person and see what happens. And he just ran him over into the end zone. (laughs) It was like, wow. I had a a friend of mine who's an Oklahoma fan text me at that point and say, is there a button that just says, just make it stop? So (laughs) I was like, I, I don't know. I think that button is Kyler Murray. And that's when Kyler started to turn it on. But, man, Josh Jacobs, so happy for him. Um, and the way that, that that he was able to show up in a game like this. He's my favorite running back. I don't know if he's the best running back mm-hmm. that we have, but he's by far my favorite because of how he runs, how he plays, et cetera. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that was cool. I think if if you wanted to go in the direction of, you know, concerns, um and where Alabama was kind of exploited I mean it seemed like a couple of our defensive linemen were not 100% uh, Isaiah Bugs didn't, didn't look 100% to me and Williams looked hobbled a few times like there was one play in particular where Bugs was in front of a running back the running back makes a move and Isaiah Bugs just didn't even like he just kind of turns around and watches the running back continue to go and I was like man his <laughs> legs <laughs> there's got to be something wrong with his leg um, and so that's concern. I think the health of the defensive line will be interesting moving forward. And then, all right.
1: So actually, let's just let's Christian just go. Miller, let's Christian let's Miller move Hampshire. forward. Yeah. So let's move forward. All right. So uh, that's all of the New Year six games. Let's talk about the championship. Why Still don't it. we? All right. Number one ranked Alabama, five and a half point favorite over number two ranked Clemson. So this is what we're talking. Chalk, chalky wire to wire numbers one and two playing each other in the national title at the end of the game um i'm not sure that this has ever happened before um but anyway uh i think it should be interesting but i will say that maybe not everyone agrees so national championship ticket prices had been steadily increasing year after year last year was something like fifteen hundred dollars to get in this year apparently the prices went from seventeen hundred dollars uh until and then I guess after number one and two were picked Alabama Clemson, uh, they cratered and now they're about one hundred and fifty dollars to get in. Uh, in addition to it being in San Francisco, which is about as much of a college football destination as like New York City. Uh <laughs> I think, I think also folks might be a little bit tired of this matchup, to be honest. I get it. If I weren't a fan of Alabama or Clemson, it would be maybe tough to care uh, because the storyline of will Saban win a seventh national title is not such a compelling one. Uh, and, I mean, I'm not even sure how much interest Alabama and Clemson have in it, generally speaking. Or I mean, clearly they want to win this game, but they both assumed that they would be here for weeks now. I mean dabo didn't even buy the whole school pizza like he normally does and neither school (laughs) bothered to have a playoff committee ranking watch parties because they're like yeah we're in um so with with this in mind are you excited for this game
0: i am excited for this game you know i would have rather played notre dame uh (laughs) it would be an easier victory but i'm excited i mean these are the two best teams in football and have been for a couple years and so uh, it's exciting to kind of have a, a round four. It's also exciting for it to be the third uh, meeting in the national championship and so kind of have a, a leg up on that. It's exciting because it will have whoever wins will be the first 15 te- 15 win national champion uh, for a very long time but definitely since the playoff. Uh, and I'm excited because when you kind of work down through these two teams, you can see why they're the best two teams in college football. It's strength on strength, um, kind of everywhere you look, and it's really difficult to part to parse out. Man, where does it where does one team have an advantage? Um, and so I think it's going to be. I think the main reason I'm excited is just going to be really good football. Uh, if yeah. These if these teams really play the way that they can, it's going to be exciting football, just like it has been in uh, the previous two national championship games. Um, and so <clears throat> I think we, we should expect another really good game. We should expect to see really good football. Uh, and we're watching the best of the best go at it again. So uh, definitely excited about it.
1: Yeah, and actually I think that framing is probably the, the best way to think about Alabama and Clemson. Uh, you, you often hear about Sports writers and people in the media talking about how decades are usually defined by, uh, you know, like the elite team. Uh, so I don't know what who would you say was the elite team, or maybe you have a couple of them in I don't know the nineties.
0: In the nineties, I mean, it was uh, I mean Florida State, Alabama, State, Alabama went early, but yeah, Florida yeah. State. Um, uh, Miami was uh, they kind of came back probably the 80s, the end. but then yeah. in like the early 2000s you had Ohio State. Um, yeah, so when you have these elite Florida, teams, though, they Florida not just Florida State, but Florida was winning ACC yeah. championships. So, yeah.
1: So you have them, but they often exist kind of they're like elite at the top on their own. And right now we have two teams who have been just. Juggernauts and, and could have easily defined this this decade for themselves, and certainly Alabama has. Uh, but you also have Clemson, so you kind of have these these elite teams battling each other over the last uh, you know four years. So I, I think that's pretty exciting uh, to be you know watching college football at a time like this when you have uh, this this rivalry being formed. So that's what I'll say, but. I have some questions for you about this game. So uh, for Alabama, what what questions does Alabama have to answer to win this game? So what will Alabama struggle with the most uh, in going up against Clemson that they'll need to overcome in order to win this game?
0: Yeah, I think the, the the problem that Clemson presents, in my opinion, that'll give Alabama the most trouble, and if they don't solve this problem, they could easily lose the game is whether or not our offensive line can block that defensive line. Um, and if we can't, and that defensive line's running through uh, Alabama's offensive line like they were against Notre Dame, and this is an elite defensive line. Uh, we haven't faced anything like it this year, in my opinion, uh, mainly because they're just kind of unique in how good they are. And, you know, they were, they were all these guys could have gone to the draft last year. They all chose to come back. And so, I mean, here they are, and so we're playing against an NFL type of talent on the defensive line. And if we cannot block them, and we can't give Tua a little bit of time, because who know, I mean, and he's not quite as mobile. If he gets hit a lot, and he re-injures that ankle, even if he's getting the ball off, if he gets rattled, if they stop the running game, all that kind of stuff, then it could be a long game for Alabama. So that's that's the problem they got to solve: is how do we block these guys up front, or scheme around them? Um, but they're kind of good all the way across the board. You're not going to run around them. You're not going to run through them unless you just get a hat on a hat and you block them. Um, And so our offensive line against their defensive line, I think, is really the biggest thing that Alabama's got to solve. All right, so
1: then for Clemson, what what question does Clemson have to answer to win this game? What will it take for them to to win against Alabama?
0: I mean, this is, I guess, going to sound lame, but I think it's the same thing the other way around. If that sounds lame, come up with something else. <laughs> I can't. That's the thing. I tried to. Um, if I mean, if Quentin Williams and Isaiah Bugs and Raquan Davis, if they can't block those guys, then and give Trevor Lawrence time in the pocket, then it's just not. I don't think Clemson has a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, because our, our secondary is is okay. I mean, I think Patrick Sertan is a liability as was shown at least on one drive where they just kept going to C.D. Lamb against Patrick Sertan until he scored a touchdown, uh, Oklahoma <laughs> did. So he's somewhat of a liability, but that's only if if somebody has time in the pocket. And um, Kyler Murray is much more mobile, obviously, than anybody in the universe, but definitely more mobile than Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is in a statue. He can move. But um, if we can get pressure on him in the pocket, then I think that we can... Uh, control the game. And so uh, I think it's the same thing for Clemson. It's going to be one based on whether or not they can block Alabama's defensive line. Uh, If they can, I think they'll probably pick us apart and it'll be a pretty high scoring affair. If they can't, then I think Alabama uh, can maybe even run away with the game because eventually two is going to be able to, to do something. So, I mean, those are the two things it's can Alabama block Clemson's defensive line can Clemson block Alabama's defensive line.
1: All right. So just a few other elements that are kind of coming into play. Well, are definitely coming into play, actually. So there are some key players on both sides missing. Clemson has three players who were suspended for alleged use of a banned substance. Um, we we knew about this ahead of time. This happened before the Notre Dame game. The B tests came back positive, and the appeals were either denied or deferred. So those players remain out. Uh, most notable among them was Dexter Lawrence. Um, he'll be replaced by Albert Huggins, who actually has has been in for most of the season already. He was he was already playing snaps so. Um, he, he's certainly no slouch. So I, I don't know that there's such a big difference between Dexter Lawrence and Albert Huggins. So I, I don't think that that is ultimately going to play much into it. Um, but they're also missing quarterback uh, Mark Fields. Uh, he missed a game against Notre Dame and is reported to be questionable, I guess, for this matchup due to some undisclosed in- injury. Um, and, uh, yeah, so so we haven't heard but, but we think he's going to be out. Alabama has uh, uh, Deontay Brown out for breaking NCAA rules. I don't know if you have any additional details. I'm not sure exactly what that means. Yeah, uh, I but
0: he, they haven't said, I don't think. But uh,
1: He was out against Oklahoma, and he's out again this week. Uh, Lester Cotton will be filling in for him. Um, and then also, as, as you mentioned, Alabama might be missing uh, their linebacker Christian Miller, Uh, or he might be limited a little bit because uh, he left the Oklahoma game with a hamstring injury. The preliminary reports, I think, said that it was minor as far as these things go, um, but he may not be at 100%. So uh, how do you see these these injuries kind of uh, impacting uh, Alabama and Clemson, and and who do you think is at a, a greater deficit because of them?
0: You know, depending on if, if Christian Miller is is not a hundred percent, then I I'm going to go. Alabama's at a greater deficit because of the injuries. Because he was you know one of our you know specialists in pass rushing for the linebacker. Torrell Lewis was the other one. Seems like Terrell Lewis is not going to play. He's still making his way back from an ACL injury. If Christian Miller's also out, then that takes away a, a good pass rusher. And like I said, if you know, we don't have a pass rush against Trevor Lawrence and they have good wide receivers and he'll just be able to stand back there and kind of pick us apart. Um, and then Deontay Brown on the offensive line, like I said, I think, you know, uh, Lester Cotton, to use your language, is he's no slouch either. But Deontay Brown was kind of that mauler in the middle that could really solidify the middle of the line. And so I think those two things, because of what they do on either side of the ball, one, getting to the quarterback, the other, protecting the quarterback and setting the stage for the run game, I think those are pretty significant. And, uh, I mean, Clemson's just so stacked on the defensive line. Dexter Lawrence is is incredible. He's a first-round draft pick. But they're so stacked back there that it seems not to make a huge difference. There's a little bit of a drop-off, but not a huge difference, whereas – you bring it, you take out Christian Miller. We don't really have another Christian Miller. Uh, and so, um, I think Alabama, if he's not 100%, Alabama's definitely at a greater deficit uh, with with the injuries and the absences.
1: All right, so, before we give our score predictions for this game, is there anything else we should keep an eye on, do you think?
0: Uh, I, I think what is going to be another key is Travis Etienne for Clemson is averaging <laughs> yeah. over eight yards a carry. Um, so, I mean, if, if we can't slow him down, it's going to be a long day for Alabama. Um, and that's not just the defensive line. That's linebackers filling gaps. That's the secondary coming up and helping if, if, Clemson is able to establish a running game with Travis Etienne, then I just I don't know that there's a way for Alabama to win, unless it's some massive shootout and we win fifty-one to fifty or something insane. So I think that's a that's a huge key. If does Clemson establish a running game against our defense, because Travis Etienne has been superb, uh, and they'll run all over us, and that'll set up Trevor Lawrence and those wide receivers to go deep. So I think that's a that's a huge key to the game.
1: All right. So we'll keep an eye out for that. Do you wanna give me a score here?
0: Yeah, I think um, Alabama will figure out how to block. I think they'll get enough stops on defense. I think Alabama wins. And I think they win I think they uh, win thirty eight to twenty eight. Uh, some people have a higher score than, wow. than I don't. I think wow, they I think cover be, yeah they cover. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be, you know, the sort of thing not like the Oklahoma game at all. <laughs> um, we're not going to go up 28 nothing, and then win 38-28 or something insane. I think it'll be kind of a back-and-forth game and Ben will be up 31-28 and then punch it into the end zone toward the end to go up 38-28. I think that'll be the sort of the flow of the game. Um, and I think Clemson has shown that they're vulnerable in the passing game if uh, you can protect a quarterback. Uh, the South Carolina game showed that. And I think their offense can be slowed down uh, if Julian Love doesn't go out in the Notre Dame game, I'd be interested to see uh, what would happen there. And so, man, I hope those defensive players are healthy. If they are, I think we can slow Clemson down enough uh, to pull out a win. But it's going to be an exciting game. Um, but I got Alabama pulling it out in the end. I, I do not uh, That –
1: that is a big spread. Uh I don't see that happening. I mean, when you look at Alabama playing Clemson in the national title, uh, which they've done just twice before, but (laughs) it was very close. So there was a five-point difference the first time, uh, a a four-point difference the next time. Granted, when they met in the semifinals, it was a little bit more wide open, but uh, I think Trevor Lawrence is a little bit of a, a more sure thing um, as quarterback, I, I'm gonna pick. Final score here: thirty-one to twenty-eight, Clemson. Okay. Because this is what I do. Okay. Uh,
0: so yeah, my question was gonna be: is that because you think Clemson's going to win, which they could? Don't get me. They wrong.
1: very well could. Um, absolutely.
0: Or is it because you like to pick against Alabama? Because when you do, I they always pick
1: against Alabama in these big (laughs) games. But even if I weren't doing that, I would not pick Alabama to to cover that spread. I mean, five and a half points?
0: Nah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, so, I mean, you could look at stuff like, okay, you could say, oh, so they're only going to beat Clemson by one more point than what they did Oklahoma. They beat Oklahoma by 11, beat Clemson by 10. I mean, like you said, Alabama could have easily scored another touchdown at the end and make it 52-34 then it would have looked like a much you know, bigger blowout. But Clemson
1: has a defense. Right.
0: Oklahoma didn't. Sure. Um, and But I think the way the game plays out, it will be very close until the end. But instead of taking a knee at the end, I think Alabama will punch it in to, to kind of close it
1: out. All right. So I guess we'll be back next week to process this game. I look forward to it. Um anxiously awaiting the results uh, and the occurrence of this national championship. Um, Until then, do you have anything else you would like to discuss?
0: I don't think so. I think we did it all.
1: We did it all. All right. All right, so that's it for Processing College Football for this penultimate game or episode. I don't know. Whatever it is. Uh, (laughs) That's it for us. We'll catch you next week. All right. Until then, Mark. Adios.